it's just who I was. It's not who I am, but it has helped mold me into somebody that I am today. And I will forever be grateful for that. And I will be forever grateful for the people that I have, you know, gotten to know over the years and the dear friends that I've made throughout the years and chosen family, you know, like I, I, I don't feel in any way regretful about it. And I am grateful for everything that I've learned from it. Hello and welcome to the podcast, to another episode of Queerly Overthinking. I'm your host, Adam Harper, and in today's episode, we are diving into my upbringing as a Mormon. I was raised Mormon, and we're going to be covering some unique and key points um, that played a massive role in my life, specifically the topics of what was it like growing up as a kid in the church and what I personally did to prepare and serve a full-time church mission. Uh, what was it like attending a Mormon-based university? And lastly, what were my reasons for leaving and where am I at now with my beliefs? Alrighty, well, if you know me, you probably know that I grew up Mormon and probably know that I am no longer associated with the Mormon church. Um, or if you're fresh to this podcast and don't know really anything about Mormons, I'm more than happy to share my story and little bits and pieces about the church and what it was like for me growing up. Um, I will say I want to start this podcast off by you know addressing that while I may be using terms such as Mormon or LDS, that the church's official name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They recently went through a kind of a rebranding moment where while that has been the name of the church officially for as long as it's been around, um, they really have placed a lot of emphasis on the fact that they want to have that more widely used, which I very much respect. And just for the use of this podcast, I am going to opt to politely use the more shortened terms because that's what I grew up with I I was not around f or in the church when they made that change and so f for as long as I knew the church you know we were known as Mormons or LDS you know or just members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints but people often just you know shortened it it just for convenience and, and I'm sure there are still people who do but officially that's the longer name is the more preferred terminology a few quick icebreakers to kind of get these out of the way. Uh, these were just some funny things that I saw online that I actually was asked a lot of the time when I was still a member of the church. Uh, the first one being, are Mormons Christian? Yes, uh, they very much are. Uh, Jesus Christ is very much a, a focal point in their beliefs. Uh, one other one was, do Mormons practice polygamy? Or oftentimes I was asked as a kid, like, how many moms do you have? And yeah, um, while that might have been a part of the history of the church, uh, that is certainly not what they do today and just something that people need to recognize. So it's like, okay, you don't need to ask me how many moms I have. Um, are Mormons supposed to drink caffeinated beverages or are they not allowed to drink caffeinated beverages? Uh, this is also kind of a misconception within the church because there's a, 
a rule or more so what they call a word of wisdom, which is a guideline for healthy eating and living where you're not supposed to drink coffee or tea. And that was boiled down to, oh, it must be the caffeine. So there is kind of a, even within the church, sometimes people can take it to the point of like, well, no coffee, tea means no caffeine. So I was never really allowed to have caffeinated beverages growing up as a child, but that was like the choice made by my parents. But then as we grew up, it was like, oh, you could have caffeine if you wanted to, but just, you know, obviously all things in moderation, like obviously if you're going to drink like a ton of caffeine, like, yeah, that's not going to probably be great for your body. Um, but there are some people who thought like, oh, it's because you're Mormon, you just can't have caffeine at all. So it, again, misconceptions based around partial truths, partial, partial falsehoods and such. Um, and then the last one I saw was all Mormons live in Utah. And I kind of chuckled at that one a bit because I did not grow up in Utah. I have a lot of family in Utah. I have a lot of family who are from Utah. My parents met in Utah and then they moved to New Mexico and I was born and raised in New Mexico. But yeah, not all Mormons live in Utah. As I mentioned, I was raised in the church and my parents were both very committed to uh, Mormonism and they came from families who were, you know, in strong LDS backgrounds. And so I, I grew up in it. Uh, I remember attending primary, which is the kind of Sunday school for kids back in the day. Um, there's a lot of singing of children hymns and there are lessons taught about you know, lessons found in not only the Bible, but then um, scriptures that the LDS Church has, such as like the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, uh, you know, and they do study the Bible and such. So it was a lot of just condensing the gospel or the teachings of the church to make it easier for children to better understand the principles. And, you know, I did, I, I will say that like, I learned a lot of very important core principles as a kid, such as kindness and charity and hard work and just being a, a nice to other people kind, the whole gambit, you know what I mean? It's just like not telling lies and being able to serve one another, you know, like that was a big thing is service and being involved in your community. That was also a really big thing. But I don't know, as a kid, looking back on it, it's very interesting to look back on it because Mormons believe that at the age of eight is when a, a child has the ability to understand right from wrong. And at that point, they're baptized at age eight versus when a lot of other churches and beliefs baptize their children uh, at infancy. So Mormons wait till they're eight and, you know, there's like an interview process to like, do you understand what you know, right and wrong is and such. For me, you know, it is interesting to think about like at what point in our life do we really understand consequences of our decisions, uh, whether or not we know if it's like a good or a bad decision. And I don't know if I've ever really formulated an opinion about that per se, other than I, I do feel like it is a young age, but there's also not a lot of pressure to like, absolutely know everything right from wrong but I think there is a lot of yeah maybe pressure on a kid for understanding like what is right and what is wrong at the age of eight you know like it is something to think about but looking back do I ever feel like I was 
conditioned to think or feel a certain way about things. I mean, it was all I ever knew as a kid. Like I wasn't really exposed to anything outside of the church. Uh, I, I very much lived a, you know, protected, sheltered life. I wasn't really exposed to a lot of culture growing up. Um, the culture that I knew was the culture of the church and the people that I knew and the activities we did and everything. So it it just was very much center focused around my beliefs at the time. Um, and that continued on through my teenage years. You know, I, I just, things were kept very close knit and, you know, guarded from any temptation or evils or, uh, worldly influences. And I just, I don't know. I remember having a lot of majority of my friends being people that I knew in church and such, because we would have not only Sunday classes, but we'd also have weekday classes. We'd have, uh, activities we would go to. And, you know, it was just, it it was fun. I will say it was fun because we were building a community together and, it's fun when you have people of shared values to build community with. And all in all, I really did appreciate that time because I had fun making those connections with people. I had fun making friends and, um, you know, it was, you know, I don't take my childhood for granted. I genuinely don't. Throughout the years, as I was growing up in the church, there was always a big focus on preparing to serve a church service mission or Oftentimes it's just abbreviated as like serving a mission within the Mormon church. The, it's basically two years for uh, men to go on a, a mission, whether it be domestic or foreign. So whether I'm in the States or out of the States. And I believe it's 18 months still for uh, women. They might have increased it. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but I do remember when I was younger, they decreased the age that you could start going on missions, I think from somewhere in your 20s to like 18 or 19 or something like that. And I think that was a goal for them to get people like right out of high school to go on missions to, you know, keep them out of trouble as it were, you know, if somebody were to start going to college and then, uh, you know, get into something that the church didn't want them to get in, whether it be substances or, you know, my personal opinion, like just, an exposure to the world and such. Like, I do wonder what it would have been like if I had stayed in college a little bit more before going on a mission to see, like, what would have happened because of how close-knit and sheltered I was as a child. Um, But in preparing for a mission, there are, like, you were basically told from a young age, like, as I mentioned in primary, we would be singing songs about, you know, going on a mission and there was just so much emphasis as it was considered a responsibility of young men to go and to preach and to teach and to serve local communities and to, you know, just, there was a lot of emphasis placed on it. And so not only were there day-to-day classes about it, but there were also specific events hosted around, you know, preparing for a mission and everything was just very much focused around getting you ready for that. The application process was also very interesting because I had to be physically fit and mentally fit to, um, go on a mission. Like I had to go to to a physical process. I had to go get my dental work, you know, checked and make sure it was all good to go. I had to make sure I was, uh, got all my vaccines and immunizations. Um, I, 
had to pass like a mental test, I believe, or something to that effect of where it's just like, are you in a good place where you could be in difficult situations potentially, you know, like, cause you're out in public, you're going to be confronted with almost anything, you know? So it's just like, how well do you handle stress? How well do you handle, you know, like, do you have any depression? You know, is there any anxiety that you're working through things that they all consider? And once when you go through that process of submitting all that information, you have interviews with your local church leaders. Um, I oftentimes will explain church leaders in this fashion that there are bishops or pastors or like local congregation, like leaders. And then from there, there's like stake presidents and um, it, it just kind of goes up from there and stake is S T A. K-E, I believe. Um, so it's a similar structure, I would say, maybe it's like to the Catholic Church, but just different names for similar positions, honestly. So the application process, after I submitted it, you go, you go through all those interviews to see, like, are you worthy to go on a mission? Are you in a good spot in your life to go on a mission? Have you done anything that you should tell them? that, Like, oh, have I sinned? Have I, you know, been good? Have I been really preparing? Where am I at? And all the things. And after that is submitted, it goes to the church headquarters for them to essentially assign you where you're going to go. You don't get to pick where you go. So if any of you are listening who have had friends who have gone on uh, missions but aren't really familiar with the process, they don't, we, we don't get to pick where we go unless if there's like extenuating circumstances. Um, and essentially w- what I was explained as the process is, is that they see your face or like the profile picture that you sent in, they see highlights of your information from the application. And there's a big world map of all the different areas that they could send you for your mission. And they take a minute to prayerfully ponder over where they should send you. And by they, I mean like the apostles of the church are the ones who are doing this. So um, as there were 12 apostles back in the day with, with Jesus, there are currently 12 apostles in uh, LDS church. And so one of them, you know, presiding over this application process and feels inspired to send me to a specific location. So they write down that location, they put it into a letter and I don't know if they're still mailing them. I think they might be, but I think they might also be doing them digitally as well. It's a big deal. It It's crazy when you go to the mailbox and you see this big white envelope and it says it's from church headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it's a huge event, if, especially if you're in a very like close-knit Mormon community. Oftentimes, there are letter-opening parties, and you know everybody from your congregation shows up, and for me, it was just me and my family. We just wanted to kind of keep things you know, just in the family and such, and when I was opening the letter, um, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it was saying like, uh, dear Elder Harper, and Elder, again, is like one of those other terms, like pastor or something like that. It's just one of the terms that is used in the church. Um, I, again, I don't remember the, the exact terminology, but it was like, you've been called to serve in the Eugene, Oregon mission. And I was so nervous when I saw where I was going to go at first, because I was really kind of secretly hoping that I wasn't going to go foreign, because... Uh, I don't know. I just was a little scared to go somewhere that I was super unfamiliar with. Like, you know, I, 
I genuinely wasn't sure I could handle it per se, just because it's one thing to go and visit a country and just be like a tourist. It's another thing to go and preach your religion and to try to convert people and to do like service and help people and such like it's a different thing and so I was definitely very nervous about it so when I saw that I was being sent to uh, Eugene Oregon I was actually really relieved and the specific Eugene Oregon mission is not just the city of Eugene it's a collection of regions so I specifically um, served in all kinds of different areas and I might go into that in a minute but from that point I was required to go through some more preparation for my mission. And part of that was going to the temple, which, uh, again, if you are familiar with uh, LDS beliefs or not, um, there are kind of two different meeting houses for the church. There's your typical one that you would meet, you know, for Sunday services, for during the week activities and such. But then there are other buildings known as temples, and oftentimes they are very you know, beautiful and, you know, like they're, they're very colorful in the way that they present themselves, whether it's like marble or, uh, different types of stone. And, you know, it, they're very pretty, honestly, they really are. They are architectural feats, honestly. From there though, I was invited to make more covenants or promises with God that if I would, you know, be, faithful and honorable to these promises, then I would have, you know, additional insight and protection from God. And it was very interesting. I remember feeling like I had always been preparing for this opportunity to go to the temple to make uh, these more serious promises with God. But I just don't think in the moment I was like, I, I, I don't think I ever really was fully prepared because I remember going through it and I remember kind of being a little nervous and a little scared just because I remember thinking like, you know, there's no turning back now. Like I'm, you know, making these promises with God. And if I turn my back on these promises, then I'm, you know, there's a scripture, which I, I I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but it's like, it would have been better if you had not known me essentially. Like if you turn your back on these kinds of promises and such. So uh, a lot of, feelings of, I don't know, just nervousness and guilt and shame if I were to ever turn back and also guilt and shame and, uh, that I projected on other people who I had seen turn their back and such. So it was, it was definitely an interesting time for me to, to go through that myself. Um, serving a mission in Oregon I have to say it was a really interesting experience for me. I was there for two years. Yes, I wore black slacks, white shirts and ties and that, you know, black badge that has my name on it that says Elder Harper. I was there for, again, as I mentioned, two years, six months I spent in one coastal city and the next six months in another. And then um, I spent some time uh, like in Klamath Falls and Grants Pass and Springfield uh, in Reedsport, Coos Bay, Newport, you know, it was just like kind of all over, uh, that region, which again, Oregon is really beautiful. Like uh, there's so much to Oregon and it's really crazy to see how 
the forest meets the ocean in some ways. Like literally you'll have just tons of pine trees and then it just dips off into a cliff into the ocean. Uh, I have to say like the coastal cities were definitely my favorite to go uh, be in while I was uh, serving my mission. I think I might even plan a trip out here sometime soon because I really do love Oregon. It is very beautiful. I have to say though, um, there were a few things that I learned from my mission, like specific skills that I even still use today. Every week, we would have what we call weekly planning, and we would take an hour out of our day, usually it was on Thursdays, where we would plan out appointments that we would have, dinners we would have, uh, meetings we were going to set, uh, studying time to you know, read our scriptures, and we would also set aside time to knock on doors and potentially have lessons with people as well, and you know all sorts of things. So... Weekly planning is still something that I do to this day, and that I think is something that I genuinely do appreciate, where I have a list of priorities of like, okay, I need to get this done for work, I need to get this done for my personal life, I have these daily and weekly activities I need to do, such as getting groceries, and when am I going to do that, when am I going to do my laundry, you know, and... I appreciate it. I genuinely do. I love being able to just see, okay, when am I going to do this? Because it takes away the stress of thinking, oh, well, am I ever going to get around to it? Or, you know, but there's kind of a uh, double-sided coin to this one. Uh, I could get too planned sometimes. And something I've definitely been working through with therapy is giving myself more free time to just not have anything planned out or planning out to an extent and allowing life to just kind of unfold naturally. So I think there's a balance, but I definitely feel like that was a big skill that I learned because before the mission, I was not very planned out or organized. You know, I honestly don't know how I function sometimes, but that's kind of what a, a big skill for me uh, that, that stands out along with that public speaking too. Uh, Mormons definitely put a big emphasis on that because there's a lot of opportunity to give public sermons in our meetings, typically like in our church meetings. People are often asked and volunteer to give talks or speeches during uh, church and such just because it isn't just like our pastor or bishop standing up and speaking all the time. It's members of the congregation who are asked to prepare topics or talks about different subjects and topics and such, but that's something that I learned being in the church and that's something I learned a lot on my mission because you are essentially going around and talking to people and inviting them to listen to you. And so you got to be really good at public speaking and getting over your fear of talking to people. Am I perfect in, in speaking to people still? I am not. I am like still nervous all the time. I you know, get in my head about it all the time. So, but I will say that it's gotten me out of my shell and it's gotten me more comfortable with small talk and, you know, getting involved in a conversation where, you know, if I hadn't gone through this experience of serving a mission, if I hadn't been involved in the church, I probably would not have been as outgoing as I am. I'm very much an introverted or extroverted introvert. Uh, and so it, it takes a minute for me to get out of my shell and it also takes a minute for me to recharge after social events and such. A typical day for a missionary, at least in the U.S., it, again, just basing this off of my own experience, uh, we would get up in the mornings, we would get ready, have a little bit of exercise, uh, we would have a study session, and then we would either have appointments for that day, we'd have meetings for that day, or we would... Um, 
go knocking on doors. And I have to say knocking on doors is probably one of the most terrifying things. I am not a door to door salesperson. I will never, ever, ever, ever be that. And sometimes I felt like that when I was knocking on doors because it's like, hi, uh, do you want to learn about Jesus? You know, I, I, I am not someone who enjoyed really knocking on doors. And so I admire people who do that for a living because that's just, it's hard for me to do that. Typically day to day, it was in any, any number of things, you know, I always tried to look for the bright side and things because you would be having a really good visit with somebody who was interested in you in the church and, you know, they wanted to learn more. You could have a really good visit with one of your uh, local leaders, you know, but then 10 minutes later, you could be walking down the street and someone is shouting really crude things at you, or you could have somebody, you know, open their door after you knock on it and they yell at you in like just profane and horrible things, not just swear words, but just like saying you're a horrible person. Like I won't go into detail, but it's just, it takes a lot of like thick skin building to kind of keep going after that, to kind of feel like you genuinely believe in what you're doing. And there are people out there who genuinely feel like what you're doing is wrong or who feel like you're, you know, being deceived or you're just, you know, any number of things. And so it, it took a lot to not get in my head after any time like that happened. And it is scary because you're putting yourself out there and it's like your safety is kind of on the line too. Sometimes you never really know what's going to happen. I've heard so many crazy stories from people who have been involved in much worse uh, interactions than I've been involved in. But it is just really nervous to feel like you're trying your best, you're doing what you can, and yet there's just going to be antagonizing people on both ends of the, the spectrum, you know? How do I feel about my mission, and is it something that I regret doing? I don't feel like I regret my mission. I I feel like that was two years of my life that I genuinely dedicated to a purpose that I believed in at the time. Um, I am grateful that it was rather early in my 20s that that happened. I think I went when I was 19, pretty sure. Um, and I'm glad that it was so early to the point where it didn't necessarily impact my college life and career. There are people who go a lot later. There are some people who go when they're like 25 and, or, or even, I don't know if that's the max age limit or not, but I just can't imagine what it would have been like if I had waited any longer to go because then where I'm at with my career and with my, you know, how I went through college and such, I, I feel like it was beneficial for me to do it at the time that I did. And I don't feel like it's anything that I regret doing because I learned so much from it. Um, but there are times when I think back about like, interactions that I had or things that I would say and tell people. And I wish I could just maybe kind of go back to them now, whether like if they're still around in Oregon, like if I ever visit Oregon again, um, or if they're on social media, you know, I just to be like, Hey, this is where I'm at now. This is what I believe now. And, you know, I just hope that, I hope that I did some good, you know, and I think that's a big thing about church service missions is there's a big emphasis on 
serving your community and serving the people around you. So I hope that while I was there, you know, that I made a, a positive impact. And I loved volunteering for people too while I was there. Mormons have a big thing when it comes to volunteering. We are very quick to like ask if you need help for moving most of the time, most of the time. <laughs> I, I, I had that instilled in me as a kid and, you know, as a young teen that like you look for opportunities to help other people. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed doing that on my mission. I remember serving in a few, uh, soup kitchens. Uh, I remember serving in an elderly, like a senior center, uh, for their lunches twice a week, which is actually really fun. And I made some friends there too. And, you know, it was just an interesting experience all, all around. And I, I can honestly say I don't regret doing my mission. Alrighty, so after my mission, I attended Brigham Young University or BYU in Idaho. And actually before my mission, I spent a semester or a summer session, which equated to about a semester, at the uh, BYU campus in Provo, Utah. But then I wasn't fully accepted there because it is actually a very competitive school to get into. So I transferred up to BYU, Idaho uh, in Rexburg, Idaho. It was a very, like, I, I don't know. Again, I just feel like it was a good experience for me, more so in the beginning, because I felt like I was surrounded by this huge community of people who had shared beliefs and values. It was very religious-based. Um, almost every class would start with a prayer. And I think I technically have a minor in religious teachings because I took a lot of religious courses that were, I believe, required. There's like, you know... The several scriptural courses and other religious topics and such. I honestly made some really incredible friends while I was up there and some amazing memories that, again, I don't regret going there because I am grateful for what I learned while I was there. I definitely received a quality education and I am grateful that I'm able to apply my design degree to my work. I will say that the last year or so, or the last few semesters, it did feel very isolated for me in that area. Not only is it an isolated part of the state, but of the country. Like, it took so much time to go back and forth between uh, Rexburg and the closest airport, which technically the closest regional airport is Idaho Falls, but that was if you had extra money to blow on a flight to take you down to Salt Lake City Airport. So it was like five or six hours on the bus one way, you know, and we only have like three grocery stores in Idaho, uh, or not Idaho, um, Rexburg. <laughs> and so it just was like, it's a small town. It's a very small town. But the reason why I felt more isolated than it was in the beginning is because, you know, I was reconciling my sexual orientation and my beliefs. And in the beginning, as I mentioned in my previous podcast episode, I first came out as, you know, I have same-sex attraction and I can still do the Mormon thing. I can still be a good follower of the church, but, you know, I have same-sex attraction. I'm just going to be single forever and all will be fine. And then when I was like, nope, I am actually gay, you know, I had my first, you know, serious kind of relationship that at the time and I was like nope this isn't gonna work like I 
just need to keep my head down and I need to finish my schooling and you know, it, it was hard. It was really hard. It was the, the time that I had up in college is probably one of the best times that I've ever had because of the people and the experience of college and making friends and community and connecting and just, it, you know, college can be a really fun experience, but it was also like one of the hardest times for me just because I just remember thinking like I, I felt trapped. I felt like I wanted to just be done so I could leave. Um, so I could like live my life in a big city and to just not feel afraid to be gay. And I was asked this question recently by a really close friend of mine. Um, am I embarrassed telling people I went to school there? And I had to think about that for a minute because yeah, I was, you know, when I first finished school, I did not want to make any noise or anything like that about me leaving the church um, I, again, just kept my head down and I waited till I got my diploma before I, you know, officially decided like, okay, I'm done with the church. But I also just, for the first few years afterwards, I was just like, you know, oh yeah, I went to school in Idaho. That's where I got my degree. You know, people were like, well, I, why Idaho? I'm like, oh, it's cheaper tuition, you know, like all these things, which if you are a member of the church, you do get subsidized tuition, uh, because of not only contributions from members of the church, but also the church places just a high emphasis on education. So that was oftentimes an excuse that I would add on to that. And, you know, I eventually over time, as I became more comfortable with the notion that, yeah, I was raised Mormon. I did go to a Mormon school because I didn't want people to necessarily ask me about it in the beginning, but I've grown more comfortable with my past and accepting like, yeah, I was raised Mormon and I went to a Mormon university. I went to serve a mission in Oregon for two years of my life, you know, and in some way it was embarrassing because I no longer believed in it anymore. And it was like, how could I have spent so much of my life doing that? Like all these questions, you know, flooded my head with that, but I've grown more comfortable sharing that with people now and to not feel like it's an embarrassment to me anymore because it's just who I was. It's not who I am, but it has helped mold me into somebody that I am today. And I will forever be grateful for that. And I will be forever grateful for the people that I have, you know, gotten to know over the years and the dear friends that I've made throughout the years and chosen family, you know, like I, I don't feel in any way regretful about it, and I am grateful for everything that I've learned from it. All right, here is the answer to the burning questions of what were my reasons for leaving and where am I at now? And I'm going to start with what were my reasons for leaving? Well, what really did it for me were the teachings of the two great commandments, which are love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. And upon these two commandments hang all the rest. In coming to terms with faith and being gay, I and like ultimately choosing to accept myself, it meant that if I believed in a God, I would like want to be happy and they would want me to be happy and they would want me to find love and to accept myself and to have love for myself to then share that love with others 
and to find happiness and love in this life, you know? So ultimately that was the catalyst for me, those two commandments. And if those two flipped over, then one by one, I began to question the application and standing of all the commandments and teachings. And Mormons teach heavily that they are the only true and living church with prophets and apostles, people who converse with God for the benefit of the church and members. And I just felt like, how can I ever believe in another faith again when I was taught so much that they are the only true church? And if I started to deeply question their validity for me, then how can I really believe or trust anything any other church says or subscribe to any other particular belief again? So that brings me to where I'm at right now, which is currently I am a mix of atheist and agnostic. I hope that there is something else after this life, but my mantra has always been, uh, at least the last few years, you know, has always been the last few years, be a good person, live a good life, help other people and contribute to society. And if that isn't enough to qualify me for the highest form of glory after this life, I don't want it. And I don't want to subscribe to any belief that tells me how to live my life by promising something in return after this life. You know, I just, I, I can't and I won't. And it's just because I've done that the last 20 plus years of my life. And I am choosing myself. I am choosing happiness I am choosing self-acceptance. I'm choosing love. And that's what's really important to me. The other half of that question of where am I at now uh, kind of stems from, you know, what was one of the biggest obstacles I faced or continue to face because I left the church. And let me tell you, leaving the church was not easy. Uh, There are two main paths that, you know, I was familiar with. One is the you know, more long route, which is in person, you go through at least, I think, three different interviews with your local leader, a regional leader, and then I think even like a more sub-regional leader. I'm not entirely sure of the entire process, but it's just from what I've been told from other people who have gone through that process, it's a lot of guilt and shame of trying to convince you to stay and to express consequences if you don't stay that you're turning your back on god and your beliefs um and it's a very emotional process from what i've been told from people who have been through it and have said that like it's not it is not fun from what i've been told the other way which is the way that i took was that there's a lawyer who does this pro bono, uh, but I did make a donation after the fact. Um, I believe the site is quitmormon.com or quitmormon.org. If you just type in quitmormon on Google, you'll find it. Um, You have to send in a notarized letter to this person who will then send it to the church and then essentially act as legal counsel and say, like, remove this person completely from your records Uh, or, and like, do not contact them or, you know, we'll press charges or something like that. And it took about 169 days from the day I submitted it for it to actually be finalized, which I don't necessarily know how long legal paperwork takes, but that did seem like a long time to me. It is interesting though, that I had to get a lawyer to get involved just because 
the church does keep very meticulous records if you move from one part of the country or world to another they can send your church records which is essentially like your social security number but for the church it's like a member number uh to wherever you're at next so that way your local leaders can get in touch with you and you know you can get involved in your local church community there i after i finished college i opted to have mine moved to my parents uh congregation and i just left them there when i went to dallas and i was just like nope i don't want them here and it was like that for a few years and i was fine with that for a few years but then missionaries (laughs) as i was once a missionary Uh, And even I used to do this too, on Facebook are allowed to reach out to people through Facebook or other means versus just phone and email, which I made sure my phone and email weren't on my records so that way nobody could like really reach out to me at all. Um, I was contacted a few times through Facebook and I was just like, you know, I think it might be time. I've been away for a few years now and I think it might be time for me to like officially leave the church and have my records removed because at some point they're going to, you know, try to find where... I'm located next and see if they can send some missionaries or local church leaders to check in on me and see how I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, I'm really, I'm really good. Like that was who I am, who who I was then, not who I am now. And I just wanted to kind of make it more so official in that regard. One of the other obstacles that I've, you know, had to face or continue to face is not only some friendships have changed and that's bound to happen. That's, that's bound to happen in any regard, whether you leave a belief, join a belief, if you move, if you get a new job, anything like that. But definitely change in belief is a big one where you'll see some change in your friendships, people who will either continue to love and support you even more or people who won't people who will drift away. And I think that's just, you know, brought on in life and there are just going to be events in life that happen that cause that to be, the case i would say my family relationships have most definitely changed not just since i've left the church but really since i came out because i was still in college and i was still involved in the church when i came out to my family and it wasn't greatly received by a few people and i can definitely tell it's changed my relationship with a lot of my family and that's hard because for someone who grew up in a church that teaches that families are forever and families are the most important thing you know to all of a sudden feel really estranged from your family because of who you are not only in your sexual orientation but also in your choice and beliefs uh that's really hard you know and that also makes me question sometimes what I was taught specifically like, you know, tolerance and love and acceptance regardless of who you are. And to kind of piggyback off of that, I oftentimes would look at people who left the church and even people who weren't members of the church to begin with and think like, you know, I wish them well because we have all the answers and we know what's going to happen after this life. And, you know, I it almost came from a place of just pompous attitude, you know, and I'm not saying that that's how everybody in the church acts or behaves or thinks, but it's how I behaved and acted and thought when I was a member of the church still was that I felt like I had all the answers and anybody who wasn't involved in the church didn't have all the answers or anybody who believed differently, whether they had a belief or not, you know, and 
I think that's hard because sometimes it feels like I'm on the other side of that. Sometimes when I talk to either certain family members or when I talk to certain friends and it's hard, it's just like, I I don't know, you don't really know what it feels like until you're on the other side of things and then look back and just think like, damn, you know, like (laughs) it's hard. It is really hard. I will say though, there are a handful of family members that I have kept in very close touch with. And I am so grateful for them because I just feel like I have some connection to family after all of this, not just through my, you know, journey of being gay, but my journey of my beliefs. And it just means so much to have some connection to family. And I consider myself incredibly lucky to have that because there are people who have no connection to their family, regardless of if they've left a belief or if they've, uh, you know, embraced who they are as an LGBT individual. So I'll, I will take it. You know what I mean? Like I am so grateful for the connections that I do have with my family and the amazing connections I have with my friends. Um, and it is hard. One other thing that I will mention is loss of community there is such a community in the church. And I think you get that in almost any belief or church system that has like a good foundation for that. Like, you know, there are going to be people who make you dinner when you're sick or check up on you regularly or will help you move or, you know, just there is a sense of community there that I did lose when I left the church. And it, it was very lonely in that regard. And I've had to build my own community in that way. I've had to find new areas to make community, whether that be going to workshops and doing something with my hands, like making a basket or painting and making new amazing friends there and attending classes or, you know, other events and, you know, finding clubs to join and just finding other ways to make community. That is really hard, especially for somebody like me, as I mentioned, who is a extroverted introvert who doesn't just immediately have community. So it has taken me a few years to really cultivate that and to be comfortable not only being by myself, but then also finding where I can find that community. To close things out, I wanted to add one more little thought to the question I asked earlier of would I change anything about my experience? And as I mentioned, you know, probably not because that's it's who I am today because of it. You know, it's sculpted and, and molded me into who I am. And I, while I no longer identify with that past self, I am grateful for what I've been through and what I've experienced. I think the only thing I can think of that I would include in my past and in my life is I wish I had more people who I knew who were not Mormon. So I could have gained a better understanding of what that looked like a little bit earlier in my life and to not feel so alone. Off the top of my head, I just feel like moving to Dallas and being gay and being no longer Mormon, I really had to build that community for myself. And I really had to think hard about who I could talk to if I needed advice. So I I wish that I had more people in my life at the time who didn't always think like me or who identified as either non-Mormon or even gay at the time. So that way I could have more reference points to like, oh, how are you living your life? What do you love about your life? And what's important to you? What values do you hold and such?
The quote that I want to share for the ending of this podcast is from Roy T. Bennett. They say, be mindful, be grateful, be positive, be true, be kind. And that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening and be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to get notified when new episodes drop. Follow along on social media. The links should be in the episode notes. And thanks again for listening and I will talk to you again soon. Y'all have a good one. Queerly Overthinking is produced by Adam Harper and Cass McMahon Cooper. It is edited by Adam Harper with audio mixing by Necessary Outlet Productions. You can follow Queerly Overthinking on Instagram at Queerly Overthinking and find more at www.queerlyoverthinking.com.